If you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. Today's chat's been brought to you by International Horse College. We have a mission to improve the welfare of horses throughout the world through the safe education of riders, handlers and trainers and that's what these chats are all about. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Nerida Richard's our guest today. Nerida Richard is an independent equine nutritional specialist and I'd like to talk to her today a bit about her consultation services and hopefully getting some extra educational information from her about feeding horses and also a little bit of information about a nutritional-based software that she's got. Now, how are you today, Nerida? I'm really well, thanks, Glennis. How are you? That's brilliant, Nerida. Nerida, we start off with a favourite quote, and I'm sure you've got one for us today. Do you know, I was kept awake last night trying to figure out what my favourite really? quote is. I'm a, bit of a, I'm a bit of a quote fan, but I'm, I, I think I've settled on one. I actually wrote it at the end of the acknowledgements in my thesis when I did my PhD. And yep. it, it's a Pablo yep. Picasso quote. It says, everything you can imagine is real, um, which could mean a whole bunch of things. And, and one of the things that makes me think about is the Jetsons from when we were kids and, you know, <laughs> And them talking into their phone and yes. their um, watches like phones and stuff. I mean, all that technology now is real. But I guess um, as a as a researcher, um, you know, you, you need to be quite creative and 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 think outside the box and um, and come up with things that you think that couldn't possibly be the case, but but often is when you go looking. So I don't know. I just love it. There's something about that quote that I love. Yes, yes. I was thinking about the jets, and I can remember. You know, the guy worked about two hours and got a sore arm. And you think, oh, yeah, sure. But there really is RSI. And that was before RSI yeah. was even a, you know, the repetitive strain injury was even a problem. But, you know, we laughed yeah. saying, oh, how can you work for you two know, hours? And Yeah. It's funny, you know, like I remember thinking as a kid, how cool would it be if you could talk to someone on the phone and see them at the same time? And now, like... <laughs> We just take it, you know, my kids think that's how phones work and, yes, <laughs> you know, yes, you just yes. take it for granted that that's, that's what we do now. It's, um, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. Yes, yes, for sure, for sure. I think, you know, the, the world's just ever-changing and, and part of that is we're learning so much more about horses now than we ever knew. You know, it would be always oh. very good if you had an old bushy around that knew his way around a horse, could help you out with the problem horse and everything, but we've got so much information available now. Yeah, we we do, and it means that we can get so much out of our horses now that, that uh, we couldn't previously. I read a book, I can't remember what it was called, but it was based in East Gippsland. We used to live out there, um, so I was interested in the book because of, of where it was, um, the area it was written about. But it was about a guy who used to log in the um, country down there and he would use horses to pull the logs yep. out of the forest. Um, and, you know, it was really heavy going on the horses. Um, and at one point he, he bought a farm and it was about 100 probably miles maybe away from where the forest was that he was logging and he mm-hmm. rode one of the horses between the two places situated at. And he makes a comment in the book that a horse has only got a couple of those rides in him. Yes. 
and then you ruin them. And I think, well, you know, you think about the modern-day endurance horse and the way we feed them and all the technology that goes into that these days. And those things do thousands and thousands of kilometres and are still in really good condition. Yeah. So it just, just goes to show with what we know um, and the science that we can apply, how much how much more we can we can mm, um, mm. do do for a horse, and how much more we can get out of them because of it. Yeah. And how we notice the little things going wrong. You know, like you ride your horse for a while, and all of a sudden they've stopped sweating. You know, and you think yes. that's something. You know, maybe like you sort of wonder what the problem was that he could only have a few rides. You can you can tell you're a Queenslander saying your horse is sweating. Yes, yes, <laughs> um, yes. Yeah, I mean the, the problem with stopping sweating, you know, a, a lot of the time I deal with quite a few horses that do this, and mm. um, a lot of the time it's just that they run out of the electrolyte salts that they yep. need to make sweat. Yep. So I say to people, you know, if you're trying to make a cake and the recipe's got flour and eggs in it, and you don't have any flour and eggs, and you can't make that cake because you don't have the ingredients to do yep, it. Yep. And the ingredients for sweat, um, you know, that you need the electrolyte minerals, so your sodium chloride, potassium, um, primarily. So if, if your horse runs out of those things, he can't make sweat anymore, um, and they will just stop sweating, which obviously is very dangerous. Yes, yes, they're very. And then it, does it take a little while then, once you start feeding and making sure that they've got appropriate electrolytes, for the body to realise that the electrolytes are back in? If that's all that's causing them, no, if that's all that's causing them stopping sweating, it should be pretty immediate. Okay. They should start yep. sweating again pretty much straight away. If there's other causes to that um, hydrosis um, mm. non-sweating. Yep. So if it, if it they don't start sweating after you give them electrolytes, then either you're not giving them enough or it's that's not the cause of the problem. Okay. Okay. Mm. All right. We haven't even got started yet. We've already got a tip. So, <laughs> so tell me about when you were in East Gippsland. Did you have horses then? Can you remember a time when you learned a lesson from a horse, you know, just early on, learned a lesson, what to do, what not to do? <laughs> Sometimes it's time, a bit like that. Yeah. Buck me off. <laughs> I don't know what I did wrong, but he used to buck me off all the time. Oh, gosh. Um, yeah, so, yes, I did have um, horses in East Gippsland. That was in... 2003, 2006, but mm. I, I grew up on a beef cattle farm close to Tamworth in New South okay. Wales, yep. um, and and all of our stock work because there was really no roads um, on the property, so or not all through all the hill country, so all the stock work was done on horseback. Um, but I was one of these kids that was just horse crazy. You know, I used to ride a stick around when I was a toddler, <laughs> pretending it was a horse. Um, and I, yeah, I remember the first day I saddled up a horse by myself. I got my saddle and put it up on the front of our um, one of the Land Rovers on the farm, and then parked the horse beside it, and eventually got it on top of the horse. Goodness knows how I did the girth up or whether it was tight, but it didn't come off. So yeah, yeah. must have been okay. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, a lot of lessons. You know, just um, I had a little mare that I'd had. For oh gosh, a long time. I got her when she was two. Um, yep. What was she? Twenty-five. So I had her for twenty-three years, um, and I just had to put her down a couple of months ago. She had catastrophic colic. You know, it was one of those colics where she was fine in the evening before fed her. She was harassing me for a hay like she usually yep. does because she was potty red little thing that never got over being potty red. Um, and then the next morning, it was down on the ground and, and blood in the um, uh-huh. belly pat that shame. the vet did and yeah. stuff. And, you know, she was older. It was really sad. The vet said, she's surgery, and I give her no chance. So, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. It, it's funny. Like, I sort of struggle. I know one of the questions is, what do you struggle with? But um, I sort of struggle sometimes in thinking, maybe there's something I can do with my life that's more worthwhile than helping people feed horses. 
And yeah. I realised when I had put her down how much horses actually mean to people and how much yeah. they help people in life. And I, yeah, so that was probably, um, yeah, that was a really, I mean, it was a sad lesson, but it was a really nice lesson. Mm-hmm. And just going, you know, horses are, horses are really very important to people. I think yeah. one of the best things that a horse person can do is to get a team of people around them who are specialists who are good at looking after horses. So you might say, oh, it's just feed. But the feed's related to this, which is related to this, which is, you know, like if you think the feed's related to the veterinary, which is related to the fitness, the training, it all comes together when you're looking after horses. Yeah, Mm. absolutely. And I I think, uh, I mean, maybe I'll say this because I'm a nutritionist, but, you know, nutrition is like the foundation for Everything. Yep. So if you don't have that right, then it's really hard to do a good job of anything else. You know, it influences behaviour, mm, mm. it influences health. Um, so if you if you don't have the nutrition right, it's really difficult to train a horse properly or to keep them healthy. And and I think you've got to look too. You know, it's not just the horse industry. The horses are used in such a, a broader variety. There's, you know, with with equine facilitated learning, and there's just so many other areas that horses can be used for. Uh, where people may not have had that interaction with horses, and they can mm. they can then learn learn more about themselves and learn more about horses. I know they're they're amazing. They fascinate me. Horses. How um, I was having a bit of a chuckle to myself the other day. Thinking, isn't it funny how people get dogs that look like them? Um, <laughs> but I think I think horses are a real reflection of us as people as well. I mean, we don't look like our horses normally, but um, but yeah, like they really do reflect your mood and your personality in a lot of ways. Yes. You know, you go rushing up to a horse and all blustery, and that's how the horse would be behaving. Yeah, um, yeah as yeah. opposed to you know much calmer approach but yeah they they really are like a a little window into yourself Mm, mm, for sure for sure thinking about the whole equine research when did you start to get interested in nutrition Uh, was it was it like ongoing or or one thing that you said I'm gonna make nutrition what I do yeah, no, you know, there was never a point in my life where, um, well, I shouldn't say never, but early on I certainly wasn't going, I want to be a nutritionist, but it always fascinated me. Um, so I used to, as a kid, I remember getting, and I, I cringe now, but, you know, I used to get um, all sorts of bits and pieces of stuff, lawn clippings, molasses, <laughs> um, bits of, like, ground-up favour bean, and goodness knows what else we had around for cattle, and um, and make them into, you know, treats and little feeds and stuff for my horse. Mm, mm. That's a wonder. Um, I, didn't, I didn't do it any harm, but I sort of, I think, oh, my goodness, I have no idea what I was doing that thing. Yep. Um, and I remember there was, I won a bag of feed once, and I remember sitting and just reading the label and being fascinated by all the vitamins and minerals and the amounts. No idea what they meant, yes. um, of course, but I was just fascinated by it. Um, and we had a... Um, uh, my horse at one point, because we didn't supplement at all mm-hmm. um, with my horses when I was growing up, but my horse at one point was... Um, with someone else and she was fed a supplement um, and came back and I remember looking at her going, wow, you look amazing. Like she looks mm. so much better than what she ever did. And and linking, I remember making a lip then between what she'd been dead and how she looked. Um, and then I, I came across another horse, um, a friend of mine's horse who had, um, I don't know why, but he was anemic and feeling really flat. And, yep. and I distinctly remember that horse being put on blood, um, the product blood and, and how he picked up and, and realising, you know, that, that nutrition had um, a big influence on him. So all these things, like this is all, you know, pre-me being sort of 16 years old. Um, and then when I got to uni, I, was, I was loved science at school and got to uni and I just 
something about nutrition, I just got it. I just understood it. It seemed all very logical to me. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And I was, I was awarded a, a prize at, at, in undergrad for animal nutrition. And I wanted to be a dairy nutritionist because um, it's quite it's very challenging dairy nutrition, and I liked I liked that aspect of it. But just as I was finishing my undergrad, the dairy industry deregulated, and that was kind of the end of that. There was no jobs, <laughs> um, so the university said to me, "Well, would you like to stay on and do a PhD?" And they had three going: there was a pig nutrition, a ruminant nutrition, and a horse nutrition. So I jumped at the horse nutrition yes. one, yeah, um, and had three of the best years of my life mucking around, Get, <laughs> feeding learning horses more and about horses. Blood. Out of them. Wow, wow. <laughs> I loved it. I absolutely yeah, loved it. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. So it's just kind of just all, in a way, happy coincidence that, yes. that I've um, ended up doing what I'm doing. Yep, yep. What's the best thing about doing what you're doing now? Oh, um, I think I love learning and I never stop learning. Um, you know, there's every single day. Um, I'll find something new. And, you know, I've been doing horse nutrition full-time for 19 years now. Mm. Um, and so you think, you know, when you do something that long, it's surely it's going to get boring. Just, um, so I, I, I love it. And there's so much really fascinating science now in gut bacteria. Um, not a lot on horses yet, but, you know, we're starting to understand gut bacteria so much in humans and the impact it has on our um, it's, it's all got to transfer over to to horses um, at some point, but yeah, it's just yeah. it fascinates me. It's still fascinates me. All the extra knowledge. There's so many. It used to be that that you know working with horses was just a dead end job, and there's so many jobs with horses within the horse mm-hmm. industry. It's just constantly expanding. So uh, you know, you might say, well, I've been doing this for. I think you said 19 years, but I'm sure that within that time, your job has changed and expanded and, you know, as you're learning new things. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And we're, you know, we're using more more technology around to do our job and, um, you know, it it changes. Horses don't change. um, Mm. Just our understanding of them changes. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, Nerida, during your career, you know, as an equine nutritionist, Who's someone? Have you got someone or, or a couple of people who've influenced you and helped you in your career? Mm, it's um, this is a hard one for me to answer because there's been a lot of people who influenced me. But I think um, going back to my PhD days, I studied under Professor James Rowe, who responsible for developing the product Founder Guard, which yep. was developed a long time ago now. Um, so, so James pretty much. Um, um, drove my uh, passion, I guess, to, you know, looking after the hindgut, really, um, and understanding what's going on in the hindgut and making sure that we're not um, starches and sugars in the hindgut that will um, cause our stasis, overnightis, behavioural changes. Um, I still find that predominantly um, that's one of the biggest messages I give to people is look after your horse's gut, look after your horse's hindgut. Um, and then you'll, you know, your horse will be so happier and healthier. So that that's a big influence. Mm-hmm. Um, we also worked a lot with Professor Ingen Chop, who we were looking at enzymes and a horse's ready to digest um, nutrients. Um, Simon Bird also at the university was a huge influence in, in developing vitro assays that worked on to measure digestion. Um, and then post university, I think one of my biggest influences has been Dr. John Conkey. Um, who's yes. been absolutely gorgeous with me and, and such a lovely mentor. 
um, and I laugh occasionally now because very occasionally John will ring me and ask me something. I'm like, oh, I love this. <laughs> but I still, I still call him. I still call him when there's something, you know, I'm up, um, particularly with, um, you know, blood work and things when I um, will need to ask his opinion on something. But, yeah, I'm always very grateful for, for what he's done for me. Yes, yeah, and, and done for a lot of people within the horse industry as well. Absolutely, yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolute champion. Yeah. yeah, yeah. What about a horse that's, you know, you've talked about your two-year-old. Has she been the most influential in your in your life or have there been uh, yeah, other she, horses? That was my little male that I just put down. I don't know what she was too. Um, I think definitely the most influential horse I've had in life would have been my um, I called Coco. I was eight when I got her. I still remember, you know, I still remember the morning I walked into the bathroom at home and Dad was in there brushing his teeth ready to go for work. He said, I found you a horse and I was ecstatic. But looking back as an animal, I was like, oh, what were you thinking? Because <laughs> this horse was like a, a, a winning quarter horse um, that he had bought um, $40 for her. Yep. And um, we got a broken in when she was, wow, I was riding this horse with a boy on. But... But it's funny, like without knowing what I was doing, I used to spend so much time um, and, and essentially was doing work with it. But I had no idea really what I was doing. It was just I was just playing with it, and she'd follow me around, and and we just created this bond. Um, and that horse used to look after me like you wouldn't believe. I'd never bump my leg on anything. She wouldn't go if there was overhead wires, like on gully crossings or something. She didn't go underneath him. Yep. Too scared she'd knock me off. Yep. Um, one one day I fell off, my whole saddle came off. I was chasing a, a um, wiener at the farm yep. and went around the corner and the saddle just went off the side. We were going out and she had it by the time I hit the ground. Mm. I was 20. Um, and she stopped dead by the time I hit the ground and was turning around so I looked at me going, what are you doing down there? <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yes, yeah, amazing and, and beautiful. Um, and... Yeah, I guess I learnt a lot from her. Um, and she, if you look on the FedEx website, there's a bit of a story about it there. Um, just saying that she probably inspired a lot of my um, need to know more about horses because I got her foal, um, and the foal was born looked perfectly normal but born dead. Mm. Um, and I've always wondered since then, you know, again, she wasn't supplemented, she wasn't fed, she would have been iodine deficient, she'd been selenium cotton deficient, like all the things that were going on. Her feet were were um like cracked, she was quartering her usually badly all the time, which, you know, long term copper and deficiency will do that. So I just um yeah, I always just think, oh, if you know, if we'd fed her properly, probably that foal would have been okay. Yep. Um, but, you know, there's stillborn efficiency, stillborn foals is quite common. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's sad back now going, oh, it could have been something so simple that would have saved that little foal. But anyway, she had another foal and I'm still in my right hand in my Okay. It's okay. nice. It's so much like his mother. Yeah. <laughs> okay. What, what do you think is the biggest challenge? You know, thinking of someone else who would like to have a career, who's interested in equine nutrition, what's the biggest challenge of getting into that type of career? Mm. And not, I shouldn't say that. It's getting into the career but keeping it as a career, is it? Because you've, you know, that's sort of been your your main thing. Mm. You know, is that possible in bulk or are there other things that are aligned to that that people could say, Rob, well, if you're interested in this, then this is also available? 
Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, um, so I, I work primarily in a supplement company. I don't consult to water. Um, so in the kind of work, the companies are either going to be enough to have their own nutritionist on stuff or they'll use someone as an external consultant. Um, so there's probably not a whole lot of work just in Australia, but there's probably not a whole lot of work in that area. Yep. Um, but more there's people wanting um, to to you know have a diet consultation um, and we also diet food is way for that reason. I do I talk um, to people about do a consultation and I can't help you. So we built a tool that they can use themselves. You know, not everyone wants to do that either. A lot of people want someone who is qualified to actually do a diet for them. So, yeah, um, mm-hmm. yeah I mean, just, just the amount of work, I guess, makes it challenging to get into mm-hmm. the industry because there's not a lot of demand for nutritionists. But it's got to be the, the type of industry then that would continue to grow, you know, because you think about when you were back, and there wasn't the knowledge that horse nutrition was even a thing. No, yeah, yeah, that's right. You know, um, even when like, mid nineties, you know, I, I saw a time I was um, not long ago. I was doing diets for um, had given me their feeding programs from the mid nineties, and it was so different as I opened supplements and stuff because that was how everyone fed back then. So the, you know, this whole premix feed and supplement. Um, industry is growing essentially in the last 20, 25 years. Yep. Um, so, I mean, it's certainly a change industry. Um, I would say if anyone wants to get really serious about getting into horse nutrition, you are serious considering doing postgraduate stuff. Um, so, you know, doing a master's or a PhD in nutrition, but that, that does make a difference as far as how employable you are. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing is, too, that it's not like you finish or you get a qualification, you finish uni, you do whatever, and all of a sudden the world just wants you. You've got to stay in the industry and do other things to complement your skills and grow on them and do the extra research and learn. And, you know, it's not just you start off here and all of a sudden you're in high demand. It's you start off here and that's just your first step in the pathway, isn't it? You know, you might do a degree or do something in equine nutrition, but then – You've got to keep going. You've got to keep going and and go and do the extra mile and put yourself out there and learn more and offer more, have more that you can offer to the public or to your employer or or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Like some, I was um, having a laugh with my husband the other day saying how little I actually knew when I finished my PhD about feeding yes. horses. Yes, an awful, awful lot about feeding the right process to make sure it was digestible and how to stuff up their hind. But more nutrition, vitamin nutrition, amino acids, um, proteins, all that. Nothing. Mm. <laughs> I remember, I remember the first. I had a um, big company client sending me out for horse stuff and even reading about the minerals and all that and just going, oh, I don't know any of this. Um, (laughs) There's always, always stuff to learn. Yes. More to to know. Yeah, I, I can remember when I first qualified as a coach and thought I knew it all, you know. I knew how to put someone in a 20 meter circle and I knew how to correct diagonals and a few things like that, but I didn't know all the extra stuff, all the extra stuff. Like, you know, you could see a horse is about to explode. You don't have that horse with that horse. You'd, that rider's lacking confidence. That You know, you don't see all those things until you've developed the eye, until you've 
got a lot more experience, you know, and even now, yeah. you know, I'm going to keep learning and learning, but I think with everything yeah. you start off and you just got to keep learning. Yep, yep. And I'm eager for fun of it. Like if I got to the point where I went, ah, oh, mm. I'd get bored in about two days and yep. that would be it for me. <laughs> yep, yep. So, oh, no, you've got to have the fun, fun of it, it. yeah. Nerida, what about feeding? You know, I know we've sort of talked about the tool, but just general feeding. If you talked mm-hmm. the majority of horse owners, you know, what's a big feeding mistake that you think people make? Um, well, probably one um, one that I'm I'm trying to get to get about at the moment is just don't let your horse's stomach empty. Okay. So, yes. Um, you know, stomach is the first part of the gastrointestinal tract, and they have a single stomach like us, so they're more gastric. Um, so once we swallow the food, the horse swallows it goes into the gastric stomach. Um, and and people, as, as people, that we're near, to say, we'll eat first lunch and dinner and maybe a couple of little snacks in between, but it's quite uncomfortable for us to have a full stomach um, and then I'll do something. So I know if I'm going to run, um, I'll, I'll want to eat at least two hours before I'm going to go run because I'll get a stitch and it's horrible running with full stomach. Yep. And I know Mum always used to say, don't go swimming fast and now after you've eaten or you get a cramp and sink to the bottom of the pool. Um, so we have all of these, you know, we can feel our own sensations of having a full stomach um, and know what that feels like and have, you know, this, this background noise of don't, don't do things on a full stomach. And, and we seem to translate what works for us over onto our animals. Um, but a horse isn't a meal feeder. A horse is designed to eat for something like 70% of the time. Mm. Um, and their stomach functions very different to ours. So we, our stomach will produce gas only when we're eating. So once we start eating, like when we smell food, we'll actually start eating food. Our magic um, acid production will on in our stomach. It'll produce acid for a period of time. There's food in there and once it ends, it just switches off and it will sit there. Um, a horse, because it evolved eating Constantly, so you know, it might stop grazing for an hour, two hours at the most, um, in the heat of the day, um, to have a bit of rest. But they, they will graze constantly, and so through evolution, they never developed an off switch for their gastric acid production, they mm-hmm. produce it constantly. Yep. Um, which means that if you have a horse's stomach empty, they're still secreting all this acid, and they're not putting any food in there to, to buffer it and get less acidic. And so a horse is standing in the stable or standing on a horse that are attracted for hours on end. Their stomach will be empty um, and then they have this big pool of acid sitting in there. And when they empty or even just when they tense up their stomach muscles, they actually squash their stomach and spill the acid mm. into the top of the stomach. And the thing is that it's been smart enough to get the bottom part of the stomach from the acid, but it's a pretty released really key because in the bottom that stops the acid from burning through the stomach wall. But because through evolution they never they were never without food, um, generally, their stomach was always full. So they always had this slight packed forage mat in their stomach to stop the acid from sliding around. Yep. So the top part of the stomach actually doesn't have any protection at all. If you start splashing acid on the part of that stomach, and it will just literally burn holes through the gastric ulcers. Okay. Um, so the whole um, trick is keep your stomach full. Okay. Um, so I've done a few rides just to the end. You know, people will leave the horse, they'll arrive, they'll leave their horses standing around, they'll do a ride for hours. 
mm. um, and come back, put their horse back on the horse, they travel for a couple of hours home, and the horses had nothing to eat the whole time. And I was, I'm sitting there, someone was like, Are you just looking to Olsen's food in the horse's stomach? <laughs> I am. Um, it kills me to see it because I know what's going on in their stomach. So make sure your horse is not food. Give them some yep. hay when you're them up. Give them hay as soon as you're back from a ride when you're bundling. Um, and, you know, if you're at a clinic or something during the break, to the front of the um hay, not not hard segment, even hay or chaff, clean that fiber. Yep. Um, and do some hay if you can. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's good. That's good advice for anyone. I think. If you're an equestrian coach or a horse riding instructor, or even if you aspire to be one, have a look at the free video series for horse riding instructors on the Horse Chats website. Go there now. Have a look. Horsechats.com. What about just thinking about, you know, because you as a consultant and you're independent, you've got your software. Mm -hmm. Okay. So what's that? Feedxl.com.au is it? Feedxl.com. Dot com, is it? Okay. So what we'll do is we'll put that link, if people are more interested in that nutrition-based software, we'll put that on your page, which will be horsechats.com slash Richards, and we'll make sure we put that link on your page. But um, mm-hmm. we've got a couple of questions here. Now, we've talked a little bit about Cushing's on the show. What sort of nutritional-related management can we have for Cushing's? Yeah, so um, essentially we treat them like um, laminate horses. Okay. So the, the high cortisol levels that they get in their body when they've got Cushing disease, or the, um, they call it our pituitary pars intermediate dysfunction, so PPOE. It's so frustrating they change the name of the condition because it gets confusing. Yeah. But um, uh, they, with the high cortisol, they, they lose um, some of the regulation of those in insulin, and so they tend to get very high insulin levels, which will then be laminitis in the way that a horse with um, metabolic syndrome or insulin resistance will get laminitis. Mm-hmm. Something about the high insulin levels in the blood causes um, the feet to fall apart. Yep. Uh, so the the whole trick with managing them is like, feed them anything that's going to spike their insulin levels, which means feeding them a diet that can less than ten percent starch and sugars. So staying away from any cereal grain or grain products, so milk, bran, pulse, anything like that is the name. Um, molasses should avoid, of course, because it's sugary. Um, and the ingredients like um, sugar beet, salt, lupin holes, lupin. Um, Lupin, some cells, copper meal, any of those low sugar, low starch products. Yep. Um, the horse doesn't need a lot of these horses are, um, depending on how cushion, a lot of them are, are reasonable doers as they get older to start losing muscle and stuff. But just keeping them on a really um, good, good forage, a low sugar forage, so no oat and hay, no oat and grass, don't feed rye grass. Okay. Try and stay away from your temperate grasses and more towards your sub grasses. So roads is beautiful. Um, Loosen hay is good. Um, you can use test hay, but don't use just test hay or the only hay source. Uh, mix it up. Okay. And uh, the, um, if you want to make it really simple, if you're using feed XL, you just cushing the disease and it'll just turn the... Um, the feed listing to be color-coded, so anything that's too high in sugars will occur in. Um, anything that may be okay uh, in small amounts is orange, and anything that's safe will be black. That okay. makes it really easy, sorting yep. what's, yep. what's okay and what's not. Okay, good, 
Good. All right. What about a book? Is there anything that you can recommend just to compliment the listeners? You know, if they're listening, I suppose we've got the software there. Is there a book or are you going to recommend the software just for people to find out a bit more? Yeah. I'm very, like, um, there are textbooks, um, but they're not necessarily just to the um, reading. So we've got heaps of stuff written on Fairfield.com. So there's a bunch of knowledge hub and there's okay. a bunch of stuff there that's really useful for people. Um, and then combined actually putting your putting your guide into FedExL, which is a really simple process. Um, it's actually quite fun to event um, and and figuring out what what requirements are met and what's not. Um, it's interesting. I've worked with so many horses over the years that have got a multitude of problems. And when I look at it, um, they're missing nutrients all over the place. So usually the first thing I say to the people is, how about we just fix the diet, see what problems are, what problems are. And, and often most of the problems just go away when we fix the diet. Okay. Okay. Good. All right, then. So what are you looking forward to now? Have you got any more research? Have you got anything else, any other software coming up? What have you got in the f- holding for the future? Well, it's, um, it's FedExL's 10th birthday this week, so it's been commercially available for 10 years, which seems unbelievable since we've gone so far. But yep. um, really we're wanting to – it's got a really lovely following in Australia, and we'd love more horse owners in Australia, but we're really wanting to get it over to the, the – so I'm heading over there in April. Um, and going to Equine Affair, which is a little bit like Equitana, um, big trade show, and, and I'm meeting up with some people over there, going for a ride, horse ride in Wyoming, which yeah, professional development really Good. isn't it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it's um, uh, it's it's in, a, in an exciting place for us at the moment, Excel, and, and I really, you know, we've gotten um, in our birthday part of our birthday week, we think. Uh, to recommend us on Facebook, and it's so nice going through and and being, um, you know the comments that people have made and how it's helped them and, and how much um how much it's them in feeding horses um, yep, money wise, which is lovely. So yeah, just just sort of um, continuing on with with that. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep, yep. All right, well that sounds great. Yeah. So if you were going to just sum up in a couple of sentences your philosophy about feeding horses, what would you say? Can I do it in words? Keep it simple. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's a good one. Anyway, yeah. yeah, I know. And then I start talking, and go, oh, it's a little bit complex, isn't it? But um, I mean, look, really, horses are forage eaters. So the more you can do with forage in a diet, the better. Um, okay. So if you can feed your horse forage diet, do that, and then just be aware that forages are almost always going to be deficient in copper, zinc, selenium, and iodine. So you have to balance them up. Um, and then if the horse is in work, you're also going to have to balance up a bunch of vitamins and um, and possibly a bit of calcium and phosphorus and stuff. And then, um, you know, bring in feeds. I mean, feeds are, and grains and things, you can feed them. They're all safe to feed. But just, just keep it as simple as possible and make sure that you're meeting all your requirements. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Good. Good. I'd like to talk to you a little bit more about some of the, just, you know, like you, you gave us advice about Cushing's, but just managing nutrition related to different diseases. But can we get you back another time? Is that okay? Sure. Yeah. Yep, yeah. Sure. Brilliant. Brilliant. Meanwhile, Nerida, how can people contact you? Uh, just through FeedXL. So if you go to feedXL.com yep. and email us there, someone okay. will get back to you. Perfect. Yep. 
Perfect. All right, then we'll look looking forward to talking to you again. As always, there's, there's like a million other questions that I could ask you, but I'm happy with what we've got at the moment. And then um, if we get you back to talk about this in a bit more depth another time, that'd be brilliant. And for people that would like good. to get Nerida's details, she can be contacted at feedxl.com or just go to horsechats.com slash Nerida Richards or go to horsechats.com and search for Nerida and you'll find those details there. Nerida, thank you. Thank you for talking to us. Thank you for giving us all that extra information and um, thanks for your time today. My pleasure. Thank you. Okay. Bye. See you. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below.